Hello and welcome to our second Something Who live show. I'm Richard, and yes, once again, we've taken our Doctor Who podcast and turned it into a live show so that our vast audience of one or two people can follow along as we record. So the first time we did this, the audio was fine, but the video was a bit jumpy, and then we managed to make one of the recording sessions live by accident, and let's hope this is third time lucky. Although, let's see... Um, and we will post an audio-only version on the usual podcast feed, but I guess watching live will give you an opportunity to interact via the comments on YouTube, and we'll be keep keeping an eye as we go along. So um, for our Christmas live show, we're I guess we've got a more spontaneous format, oh. um, but it does riff on our, our usual remit of comparing stories from the old and new series, uh, and we've given it a little bit of a Christmas spin here and there. Oh. And uh, here to take part, we've got what's becoming our regular lineup, um, at least of late. Uh, so we've got um, Big Finish writer and Missing Episodes podcast star Paul. Good evening, all. Um, and we've also got uh, noted astrophysics author and our own Doctor Science, Giles. Hello. Um, so at the heart of this uh, episode is a, a magic spreadsheet that selects stories at random from the classic and new Doctor Who series. Uh, each of us will take turns to discuss a pair of stories picked at random and then attempt to find a spurious link between them. And then the others get a chance to pass comment and possibly drop in the odd anecdote of their own. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do a regular round, I think, then a Christmas round and then oh. potentially a dream team round at the end. But we'll explain that as we go along. So I suppose um, all that remains to be seen is who are we going to make go first? Hmm. Fetch the randomizer. Um, yes, have you got a randomizer for that as well? Or could spin, <laughs> could spin the bottle. Roll one d roll one d three. What I learned a long time ago after childhood spent trying to avoid being picked um, for games or whatever <laughs> by hiding behind any objects that I thought would cover me is that that just increases the anxiety and the anticipation. And it's right. probably healthier to get it out of the way. Because otherwise I won't be able to enjoy... Uh, if, if, you know, if I go third, I won't be able to enjoy you two. I mean, mm. I probably won't enjoy them anyway. But the point is, <laughs> maybe I should just go first and get it out of the way. How about that? It's for my own mental health. Very good. Um, <laughs> Giles, do you want to pick the two stories for Paul? For Paul? Oh, yes. Okay, drumroll, please. Oh, right. Paul, your two stories. I, I got self drum roll. I got criticised last time for for writing on a bit of paper and constantly looking down at my mm. notes. So I might have to. Well, I'll hold the okay. <laughs> the notepad just off the screen. So if you if I get abuse from my eyeballs constantly darting off screen, then I'll know there's nothing I can do. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. This is not do what they tuned in for, is it? Yes. <laughs> do you want to find your fate? Ah, uh, your fate is story number one four one, the two doctors. Oh, and story number one eighty, fear her fan favorite. Hang on, haven't we? Have we did we have fear her last time? Did I we? remember desperately trying to think of something about. Yeah. Um... How does this work again? 
<laughs> just, <laughs> just tell us something about each story, and then oh, I fill fill the dead air. <laughs> hmm. Two Doctors has kind of got a reputation among people who don't like season 22 as the one where it really cements what they don't like about it. Um, whether that be violence um, or, or <clears throat> violence as in casual deaths of, of the sympathetic characters seeming a bit more gratuitous and a bit less pleasant than normal. I remember the murderer, <laughs> um, the murder of the old lady Don Don Corleone, or whatever her name is, from the, <laughs> from the villa, came in, and also mm. the the death of Oscar, Doing the comic relief. It's mm. um, I mean, it's probably the fact that she doesn't get, just get killed; she gets eaten, and the fact that he isn't just the sympathetic character who dies to show us the stakes, but it, you know, it's drawn out and is and rather it seems rather gratuitous in terms of its position in the plotting. And these are these are fair points, I think. Um, it was, I th it's it's the peak of the grotesque Grand Grignol, which they seem to be going for. They're just sort of throwing everything at it. <laughs> Any way you can punch up a moment by making it a bit more unpleasant. They do, whether it's from... You don't just kill the Sontarans, you don't just blow them up, but you have uh, another character gnawing on their <laughs> severed legs afterwards. Does that happen, <laughs> or is it just in the book? Does that happen on the screen? So... Uh... You know, I, I'm not squeamish, but um, I get the feel. I don't know where all that stuff comes from. I, I, it, it's, there's no sign of that anywhere else in Robert Holmes's work, really, in the previous twenty years. And I think he's being misled by the script editor. But I'm not here to to diagnose problems. I um, I thought I'd. I thought I'd comment mostly on that because it's there just one of the many reasons I'm not keen on it, despite the fact that it has so much potential. Um, some of which, thanks to the best efforts of uh, Patrick Trad and Fraser Hines, is 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 capitalised upon. Fear her, on the other hand, is a story so uh, that tries to find its horror. On a more conceptual level, it, lurking in the shadows, in the cupboards, in mm. everyday suburban streets, it's um, it's admirable to try to try to to use a bit more imagination to scare its audience. I think we all know that uh, it doesn't work as well as it could have done, and that's but that really has nothing to do with the ideas. Uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with the idea of a child scribble monster bursting out of a an herring cupboard. Mm -hmm. But really, I just think the script itself and the and the production are a bit lacklustre. Whether it's because it suffers from that late in season ennui and lack of budget that sometimes seem to scupper stories that were on the on a knife edge of <laughs> could have gone could have been a a minimalist classic or could have just looked a bit cheap. I don't know. But um, that's how I would that's how I would see the two. One a story that fails. By going to excess, and the story, and another story that fails by just being a bit lily-livered and not really pushing far enough in any direction. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, can we know the connection between them? Uh, <laughs> a connection? Oh God! <laughs> uh, that's what. Pe are people not tuning in for my incisive analysis with yeah. trademarks around both those words separately? 
to... Yeah, I thought that was, yes. Um, the connection, sorry. Uh, it's, um, yeah. Uh, um, uh, it's very very difficult, isn't it, to think of anything? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm told that some of our listeners last time were screaming at us in agony and yes. no, in rage yeah. and frustration that we were missing them. I um, can't really see one either. But... No, there's no sort of Olympic it... connection, is there? Or um... no. Well, the Olympics were held in Spain in uh, uh, one uh, year. Uh, one Barcelona, year. Yes. Um, uh, hang on. Where's the two doctors set? It's uh, Andalusia, Seville, isn't it? Somewhere like that. Seville, yeah. Yeah, I'm mm. not sure if Seville's ever done it. Certainly Madrid and no. uh, Barcelona. Mm. Mm. The Barcelona Olympics from 1992, <clears throat> which is uh, seven years after the story. Yeah. was broadcast. Mm. And by an amazing coincidence, Fear Her ah! is also set seven years before the <laughs> was also shown seven years before the Olympics actually happened. Mm-hmm. How splendid. I'm... Oh, thank you. You've almost pulled that out of the bag. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's odd. It's just like, you know that there's a end of season budget crunch coming. I mean, this was the second year they'd done it. They must have known, with the best one in the world, they must have known this story wasn't going to get the, um, the, the highest budget of the season. And yet... Yeah, and and yet they added the the gratuitous edition of the Olympics, and I, there's no reason you couldn't do that as a whatever the whatever the failings of the execution and so on. There's no reason that you couldn't fairly effectively do. I mean, it's is the Doctor Who version of is it Paper House that really mm. that uh, or, yeah possibly. that's yeah yeah um, which is something of a sort of low budget horror classic of its type. Um, I suppose things like the Babadook in um, you know, has recently mined the same territory, and but it's just odd that you you come up with that, and it's it's a good, it's a good good concept, and it's quite a moffety concept. And this was Matthew Graham's first stab at who, wasn't it? Yeah. And and yet, and then and then, for some reason, despite knowing that you're going to have that crunch, you then. Yeah, you then place this burden of also having to do a tie into the Olympics for no yeah. particular for no particular reason because it's not like there was. There and that's a more or less where story. it falls apart, isn't it? You know, it's sort of doing all right until the Olympics bit comes along. Hmm. Well, I mean, all right. I anyway. think. Yeah, and I think if you just focused it on the house and on the house and the scribble monster and the abusive dad and mm. and that side of things, I think you. You just stood a better chance of getting something workable out of it mm. than um, than if you add on all this other stuff. Okay, Giles, so, uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pick a pair for you now because I think ooh, we, okay. we we need to pick up the pace a bit. Oh yes, and and the uh, the two that, that that have come up uh, when I rolled the dice were Caves of Androzani and Rose. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Ah, uh, well, Case of Androsani, what has not been said about it? Um, it's, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything original to say about it. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic in the way it picks up the pace of, you know, the 
directorially, all the shaky cam and stuff like that, it's it's a step above anything we've seen in Doctor Who until now, all of Graham Williams' stuff. Um, and there's this question about would would people have seen, you know, would people have actually noticed the difference between that and um, Twin Dilemma the following week, mm-hmm. directorially and so on. It's interesting because I think some people have a, you know, people have a blind spot. We're quite tuned in as sort of seasoned genre telly watchers to know this difference between location film and OB and and the kind of quality and, and to associate film with filmic stuff with quality. And um and then Yeah, and then to think, okay, well, you know, Twin Dilemma looks tacky in comparison, although I think it didn't look as tacky as I thought, except for the in some of the um filmic stuff when we did it a few weeks ago. Um the location stuff didn't look too bad. Um and then to make a vague connection, Rose, we have this odd um you know, we have we're not we're not filming, we're filming in standard definition digital at this time. And then post-processing it to make it look like film, aren't we? Yeah, so, well, that's, I believe that was the idea. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, really. But that was <laughs> the... Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, they're both um, great exercises in pacing, I think. Um, Androzani... Androzani more than anything. The the script is yeah you know, yes the script yeah the script is great but but it's Williams's direction that really ups the speed and keeps it you know and keeps it moving along and probably you know injects that extra tension and then Rose obviously is um it's somewhat frenetic even for today's taste when you get to things like that cutaway for the Trafalgar Square and all the traffic and everything being hyper hyper sped up, and and yet yeah and and yet when it comes to the finale yeah the the denouement, you get this weird bit where everything slows down to a treacly pace, so that um yeah, Rose spends about three minutes deciding whether she's going to jump off jump off the top of the um of that gantry and save the doctor mm. and um so yeah interesting um Androzani is a story that goes at a frenetic pace but knows exactly when to slow things down and uh take time with things like Morgus and mm. and the regeneration and uh in comparison Rose is a story that takes everything at a frenetic pace and then just runs out of steam at the end Okay. Yeah, um, you, could, you could say there's sort of dummies in each. Ah, <laughs> oh, there are. Oh, very good. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yep. Yeah, yeah. very good. Of, yes. of Doctor Who monsters, they are two of the most dummy-like. Yes. I've got one. I've got one. I think we should ask our viewers to to um to choose between us. I'm quite mm-hmm. confident in mine. This is good. <laughs> Go on, in both sto- in both stories, I've got to stop smiling because it's obviously I bet I've cocked this up somehow and now wipe this smile from my face. Both stories, <laughs> the denouement heavily hinges on a test tube 
Um, and one is a test uh. tube full of bat's milk or a vial, a test tube stroke mm. vial with a lid. One is bat's milk, the other is anti-plastic. Oh, Ooh, very good. Yeah, genuinely brilliant. Mm. If, if only you'd got Rose and Kate's Androzani, it would have been perfect. <laughs> That's all I'd always said, though. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd just sat, sat um, looked at me watch for the other minute and a half. Yeah. And it's bona fide Bob Holmes versus uh, Sats Bob Holmes, I guess. Mm. Given that I the guess. old ones are Bob Holmes gig in the first place. Mm. Mm. Let's, let's get Richard on the go. Yes. Who's turn to choose? Paul, Can you work the spreadsheet? I can't, I can't work out how to make it do something. Yeah. What do I press? It, it just recalculates on the fly, so you sort of stick something in the cell and then it changes. Oh, I tried, turn it okay. off and on again. Yeah, I've I tried got one off and on again for me. Is this a good one? Okay, look what is it's here. You have story 111, Megloss. <laughs> Possibly <laughs> not, a, not the first time we've had that. Not again. <laughs> 213, was it you last time? Yeah, it, well, no, it was you last time, go on. Um, 213, <laughs> Amy's Choice. Megloss and Amy's Choice. Well, I think we we established last time that I was scraping the barrel with my knowledge of megalos. So you know, cactuses. Uh, I know about. I know that K um, nine uh, gets kicked. Um, I you know, I know it's 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 the it's the one story that that seems to be a, a hangover from the previous season in a way. Um, Amy's choice is also i guess very very kind of standalone in its season um uh, you know it's a very interesting concept um the the dream lord is it all a dream is it only some of it a dream how much is a dream um and were they ever in peril or were they just asleep um so yeah and what kind of what is there to, to link the two? Very hard to say. Um, I've, there's a, a remarkable amount of dead air here as I'm, I'm floundering considerably. Um, You've been distracted by trying to work out whether anybody can actually. I think. I mean, I think essentially we, what we can what we can say is that the entire the life thing has been something of a failure tonight. Which is um, mm. frustrating, but there we go. So Megalos is the last Zolfa Thurin, isn't he? And mm. uh, I don't know—is the Dream Lord one of a kind? He's he's sort of like the the Doctor's alter ego, isn't he? Um, um, yeah, there's there's zombies in one and not in the other. Um, yeah, they're not they're not really very similar, are they? Um, I wonder, I mean, if, if, if you've got anything at all. Uh, I've been scratching my head trying to think of anything. But, no, I'm, yeah, I'm flailing around trying to, um, trying to think of anything to do with. What if Flanagan and McCulloch write other than, other than Megalos and numerous other abortive because where did they come from? Because obviously oh, um... they'd written some sort of um, gangster thrillery sort of thing uh, almost immediately before Megalos on the BBC. Mm. I forget what it was called. Right. 
I can find out. I was just thinking because then, because then, obviously, this is um, Amy's choice is um, busy men behaving badly, chap, isn't it? So it's yes, unusual writers coming from other genres, and and in one case, making a bit of a pig's ear of it, and in another case, knocking it out of the park, somewhat to the point where it does beg the question of why he never came back. Can I just say, in case anybody, <laughs> don't worry, no one want, ever hear this. Desperately <laughs> wants to correct me that the uh, the thriller, which uh, Sleepers, which I confidently asserted was what got them the gig on Megloss, was actually mm-hmm. ten years later. So oh, apologies good for Lord. that. Was that the that was the um, that was yeah. the um, Nigel Havers, Warren Clark thing, was it? Uh, yes, that's it. That was them. I remember enjoying that. It was quite fun. But so. So he stuck with it. Okay. Yeah, well, that's true. And, um, you know, once they didn't have Christopher Hamilton Beardman cutting out all their jokes, they actually made a success of something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's true. Of course, I'm now wondering what what had they done beforehand. Probably not the time to... Uh, hmm. Probably not the time to find out. Okay, so um, moving on, I guess, to the uh, Christmas stories or stories that were aired around Christmas time. I've got a pairing here for you, Giles. See what you make of this. Ooh, which okay. are um, The Power of Kroll and The Christmas Invasion. Ooh, okay. Now, I, I quite like Kroll. I think it's quite... I think it's quite fun, all the swampies, and it's gave me some good, good scares at the time. All the stuff with you know the King Kong, um, the King Kong pastiche stuff with Umana and all the stuff in the um, yeah, with the vines. That's that's yeah. in yes, that is in here as well, isn't it? Yes, I'm not mixing it up with Caesar Doom in some way. Um, yes. And for some reason, I always remember the um, the uh, Swampies as being. I always make a make a connection, which I'm not entirely sure is there, with um, old Greg from the Mighty Boosh, <laughs> who's the um, character that I think has similarly shaggy locks, and there's a uh, there's I'm old Greg. I got a mangina, and um, I'm never quite sure, but I can never yeah never been able to see Crawl since without and. Um, Without thinking of that, and then in um, yes, I'm not sure what. <laughs> um, and we do have an unfeasibly large monster, and um, again, I've never yeah, I've never been that bothered by the CSO lines. I've always thought Kroll, Kroll in itself, is is a pretty well executed effect. Perhaps the you know the the way it le- you know the way it joins to the to the foreground action isn't great, but it's a um it's a pretty good I think example of what the effects department could do at the time, and then when we come to Christmas Invasion, uh, amongst other things, we also have the uh, the quite spectacular arrival at the Sycorax spaceship blowing out all the um. Blowing out all those windows, 
on the gherkin and stuff like that, which is one of my um, fave memories from that. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's definitely um, Krull is definitely less of Bob Holmes. Um, does it have anything? Doesn't, it's not. It's not got anything that feels particularly Christmassy about it, has it? Um, <laughs> that I can think of, and. Um, it was just by dint, I, I guess, of where it was in the season. And obviously, yes, exactly. It wasn't... Um, and as we discussed before, um, only a few weeks ago, it was a... Um, possibly it was going to be number four in the series anyway, um, before Michael Hayes <laughs> made his feelings about trying to... <laughs> made his feelings about trying to realise Kroll known... If you're going to try and um, and say to discuss, that, <laughs> you're going to try and do that examination switch technique, switch a room thing, and say, <laughs> I really needed it first to outline what the entrance of Tara would have been like if it had been on at Christmas, which <laughs> it really was. No, that's a bit late for that. Oh, yeah, so. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> now that would have been a good Christmas special, though. Entrance of Tara has the right um has the right vibe to it, and Christmas invasion, yeah. Um, Never better as a Christmas special. Crikey! Uh, don't know. It's, they get to be, yeah, they get more pastichey and more self. Um, yeah, they get more. That... They get more self-aware as they go along. The new series Christmas specials. I think they they start to they start to feel the burden more, whereas this was the joy of. The joy of Dot Two being back on the screens, and oh god, and they want us to make another, you know, to somehow produce another hour-long episode. Oh, and we've got yeah, and this is perfect timing because we've got to introduce our new Doctor here, and um, yeah, I've still got a lot of time for it. Yes, it's right. It's quite a clever way of introducing, this, isn't it? Because they they spend most of the time not doing that, and then he gets a sort of mm. hero moment right at the end. Um, yes, yeah. I don't know. Space for all the Christmas stuff. Go on, Paul. I don't know. I don't want to be the the Christmas Grinch, but I kind of like the Christmassy bits are the things I like least about the Christmas Invasion. They just feel a bit too obvious, really. The um, I mean, I know, I'm sure it's there's a lot of fun to be had in killer Christmas trees and exploding baubles and mm. flame throwing Santa Clauses, but I've got to be honest, that's the side of it which feels shoehorned in, and I. And, yeah, it just does. It just it doesn't really feel integral to the script, and I like everything else about the uh, the Sikrax and the slow immersion to the Tenth Doctor, who says mm. very confidently he's that kind of man, and then isn't really that kind of man again until no. mm. <laughs> for most of his time. But um, uh, connections, connections. Hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah! I'm trying to think what's. Well, you get it's an enormous spaceship and an enormous monster. An enormous squid, yes. Is um... there a seafood course at the Christmas dinner? Is there anything green? No, not really. Um, no. Tea, not 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 especially. Satsumas, no. Um, <laughs> third of the population, no. Mm, no, we've got Harriet Jones. Yeah. Is Philip Maddock in? Bad, is Philip Maddock miscast mm. in the Christmas Invasion? No. 
Yeah. People have a go at Robert Holmes for saying he should have known better than to ask for the, the impossible with this monster. But you're, you're right what you say about Kroll. If you're ever going to <laughs> insist upon a monster that is so big you literally can't build it, mm. then put it on the horizon. Put it so far away that you can literally do a split screen and not have anywhere... So it's not really in the frame of reference of anything else. Mm. Mm. If they kept it that far away, then that's fine. The BBC can do that, as you said. Mm. Mm. Kind of less excuse for something like the creature from the pit, for example. Mm. But um, mm. I mean, not it, it, that I'm having a go at David Fisher. Is Kroll really any better than any any worse than the Drashigs? I wonder, which we sort of give a pass to. In uh, no, monsters. it's, it's no, only when it, it's so. only when it turns into a big thrashing tentacle. But mm. Um, mm. Robert Holmes likes them, doesn't he? I was just yeah. flicking through the Spirit from Space the other day, and yeah, that's mm. kind of <laughs> 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 and mm. and then you. Pertwee knows how to rescue that effect. He does some gurning, so that at least we're entertained by his face pulling, rather than thinking that's rubber. Mm. I mean, it, it, over the course of the next two minutes in which that scene transpires, we have time to think both things. But um, it was a brave effort. <laughs> yeah, okay, so... Um, okay, not doing very well do you, connections you, there, but... So who's going to do... Uh, do, you, do you, Test should tubes. I, should I do one for you now, Paul? Or? Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. Um, okay. The Three Doctors and Resolution. Uh, neither of them very Christmassy, but both show oh. at Christmas time. Oh, hmm. interesting. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is one where I think, I feel like we've discussed it on something here, even though we haven't, because I crowbarred it into something else, didn't I? Or did I? Or did I crowbar Claws of Axos into three Doctors? They are... Uh... Yeah. Resolution is an actual Christmas special. It's the last episode of that season, but it's hived off and shown at Christmas, except it's New Year. Yeah. Uh, and Three Doctors is famously the story that feels like it should be a special and isn't a special. It's just the first part of that season. But if they'd just waited a few months, everyone would have been fooled. If it had been a standalone special, they'd have loved it. Hmm. And not moaned about the about the uh, inferior sets. Um, Three Doctors gets away with it, doesn't it? It gets away with it because it's got the the unit family and the regulars are always very well written by Baker and Martin. And uh, what was I going to say? Omega's <laughs> the heart, the the realism of Omega's plight for a story about where the not just the big plot twist but the emotional thrust of the story, the emotional crux of the story is Omega's despair on finding out that uh, he no longer exists because it's realised with with a man in a fancy dress taking his hat off and there's no head there. That could have gone either way, couldn't it? It could be ludicrous, but I think it's done very nicely and despite. Uh, despite Stephen Thorne's best efforts to over <laughs> oversell the mm. moment, I think that's the I think that's the point it hinges all around. It's quite a clever science fiction idea. I, I saw that when I was ten, and I thought, mm. oh, that's, I wasn't expecting that. Mm. And mm. it's not always that often you get that Doctor Who, is it? It's not really a, a show that often surprises you for mm. all its many qualities. No. So yes, it's. Um, I think it's. 
almost the model of what you would want from a, a joyous anniversary special. But as I said last time, Mr. Ollis and Dr. Tyler are not good enough guest characters to d- deserve mm. the amount of time. They should have been bigger and, and juicier mm. and larger. And um, I'm sorry I always say that, Bob and Dave, if you're out there listening. But you could, uh, yeah, you get there eventually. Mm. Resolution. Hmm. I, uh, yeah, I remember enjoying that quite a lot more. That's a story that's I enjoy mostly, apart from a few odd moments that take me out of it. The, yes, talking about some being surprised, seeing something that you haven't seen before, and that's not easy to do with the Daleks, is it? Mm. Um, I kind of thought I'd had enough of seeing them outside their cases. I thought the mute, because uh, I, I realised it was quite important to re-establish the fact that they were weren't robots in New Who, so I mm. guess that's why we saw a lot of them outside their machines. But um, after Dalek Sec uh, went, did not prove the visual <laughs> success that it was obviously supposed to be, <laughs> I, I kind of hoped we'd never, we'd never go down that route again. But no, this one, mm. um, yeah, and I think ever since I was a kiddie watching Re- Resurrection of the Daleks, uh, where it's they're blown up, they push one out of a bloody window and it explodes and goes everywhere. And yet the, the mutant survives that, crawls back up the wall, hides in, um, hides in the shadows, pretending to be a cat, oh, yes. jumps mm. at people's throats. That's the first time I've had any idea that they could that they were that resilient. And it gives, and it's mm. it was a good, was an un, uh, underappreciated point in that story, yes. which is full of full of sensation sometimes just for the sake of mm. sensation. And um, this is probably up there with that. Having it clinging to uh, her at fresh meat's back and mentally controlling her is not something we've seen before, but it fits in with the idea that these things are powerful. <sighs> Doctor Who's trying to have its cake and eat it. Sometimes we are told that they are nothing, that they're pitiful creatures outside their armour, and that's all and that's all they are. They're nothing without their armour. But which is it works on a psychological level in the, in the times when the Doctor has, I think, been telling one of the mutants that. It, it works in the moment, but I think if we look at the textual evidence, they are clearly very resourceful, and this this was good. It um, it had echoes of the something on your back trope, uh, mm. like the <laughs> the time beetle with Donna, which which um, I found very spooky, and it did it successfully conjure up the same sort of hor- horrific atmosphere for me. Um, didn't really like the the unit joke mm. or the rather perfunctory battle scene on a dis, on a disused road which was supposed to be somewhere in the west country uh mm. but mostly yes mostly i thought it was a good addition to the genre of how dangerous is one dalek how dangerous is one <laughs> dalek cut into pieces and scattered mm. the four corners of the earth i do like it when we're 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 shown, not told, just how dangerous they are. Yeah. Mm. You're going to want a link now, aren't you? I always have to floor you with... <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you've given us a very, very lovely piece of analysis there. Mm. Mm. Very lovely, very, very lovely. A Dalek mutants, anything like gel guards, they're big, squishy, blobby, bubbly mm-hmm. things. 
but they don't have tentacles. Mm. I've but, got a link. Go on. They're, well, they're, they're both both stories basically about people about entities that are stranded in stranded in remote, hostile environments, mm. and uh, kind of reshaping them around them to yeah. uh, recreate themselves to some extent. The the three doctors would make a nice Christmas pantomime, wouldn't it? it, it oh, definitely, with yeah. It, with I was its kind say, of so... um, you know big um, shiny sets, and and, and mm. Omega is the villain. He you know he makes rather a good um, the theatrical villain, I guess. Mm. I think when it's... we mm. when oh. we talked about it, when we talked about it before, I said some, I said something about the you know, the fact quite a lot of his palace uh, you know really does appear to be theatrical flats yeah more or less <laughs> and whether it you know whether there was some meta interpretation you could put on it that that um you know Omega is like the wizard of oz mm. not being not being all he's cracked up to be so, so maybe that's something then so um the the dalek makes its case out of bits of metal it finds lying around and omicus build his palace out of theatrical flats <laughs> In, would you in... like a yeah go on why not would you like a pair come on let's keep the pace going absolutely yeah, should, yeah. I do, should i do should i do i've got one? one do you yeah, want do you want yeah. to go one? have you not had a go yet oh you did you do me who did me i i did uh i haven't given one to richard yet right, go on. uh, can't remember have i no don't think so no You're I, too I, long I haven't done richard one yet. okay your pairing is yes the daleks the daleks the yes. daleks the daleks the snowmen and the snowmen well i'll tell you what the daleks what a what what a what an evocative story, um, and the very the very episode that was aired at Christmas time is the second episode, which is the only episode of it that I saw for many years. So when I was a nipper in West Yorkshire, there was a um, an event in Bradford that showed uh, a number of of black and white Doctor Who stories, eighty two, eighty three, something like that, and. Um, the the Daleks episode two, the survivors, was was mm. what, the, the one that was picked, and um, well, uh, you know, at, at whatever I was, fourteen, fifteen, I was uh, transfixed by it. I mean, you know, okay, there's ropey acting in it. You know, there's there's Ian. I can't feel my legs. Not you know the most convincing thing I've ever seen. Susan running through the the bits of forest that are being flapped at her while she runs on the spot. But you know, if you put that aside, you've got. You've got a sort of fantastic claustrophobic feel to the Dalek city. You get um, William Hartnell sort of crouching on the floor with the Daleks sort of towering above him with an interesting camera angle. So there's there's lots that's going for it. I, I mean, clearly, it, you know, it, it, it was the book that was first uh, novelised by David Whitaker. It's the, the first thing that I came across, I suppose, as a as a proper fan. So so as a boy, I watched Doctor Who, but the the, the Doctor Who in an exciting adventure was the first thing that I did that was other than just being an ordinary viewer watching the program. Um, so yeah, that, that, that story has, has had, um, a, a big hold on me. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole story, it's, it's not quite as exciting as, as the, as that book was for a, for a seven year old, but there's, there's something quite magical about the story. For, for for all its visual flaws and for the fact that the, the, the back end of it's somewhat padded. Um, 
the snowmen which of course so that i mean there's, there's i guess a lot of things to say about that there's um there's the fact that we're all kind of intrigued by by the great intelligence and the the mention of the web in fear um, at the back end of it and uh, quite how mu much Stephen Moffat knew when he was when he was writing that um, mm -hmm. of, of the story that, that eventually returned a few months later um, or at least most of it did you get um, um, early Clara don't you snowmen this, this mm. is that's when she's the Victorian yeah is that right this is Victorian yeah. Clara. Victorian Clara, yes. yeah. Um, Second version which, we've seen. Which, you know, is a slightly curious... You know, it's a, class, it's a classic Moffat figure, really. You know, she's um, governess by day, barmaid by night. Um, it, you, you sort of feel this is the sort of woman who, who, who lives um, in Moffat's imagination. Um, you hmm. know, after, after Amy Pond, uh, you know, and, and her method of uh, making ends meet. But you know, uh, it's it, it, certainly a, a, an arresting and affecting end when when uh, when Clara falls to her death. And you think, oh no, not again! Uh, you <laughs> know, and and you know. So I suppose you've got you've got um, Rory dying, however many times, and then Clara dies before she twice before she even actually arrives as a companion. So so yeah, there's 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 all that going on too. Um, Richard E. Grant, kind of a bit. Um, did he appear in that one? Yeah, if, if, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, kind of yes. a bit of, of, of um, underused, I think. Um, nice, nice but, humor with Strax. It's the it's the the humor with Strax is the bit I was expecting to see in Deep Breath when we rewatched it, and of course it's not there. It's in it's in uh, the Snowmen. Um, mm. You know, the, the very funniest part. Uh, with the uh, mind wiping, Mem yeah, that's, that's that's the that's memory worm. Memory worm. Mm. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I knew you'd know that. Um, so all of which is coming to what's the link? Um, and the link, of course, you know, on one level, the link is that neither of them seems to have an awful lot to do with Christmas. Although I suppose the Victorian setting feels inherently Christmassy in the snowmen and, and snow, I suppose. Um, you've got um, you've got like the the kind of ash of um, the Daleks. Yeah, of course. If we'd picked if we'd picked the Sycorax thing, then we could have had the ash falling from the sky and the ash on the ground in the petrified forest. But we haven't got that combination. So you know, there's me wishing for something that, that, that that's that's just not going to happen. Um, Try and sell the ash looking like snow. I would have gone with it. I, I thought you were going there, and I was all, all yes. prepared to give you a <laughs> yeah, yeah, two okay. thumbs up, one and uh, a half thumbs up for that one. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then of course there's Troughton talking about the the gloves that've been left outside the TARDIS, and and I'm sure Clara wears a pair of gloves to walk through the snow. So Hartnell, but yeah, uh, Hartnell. Sorry, yeah. Gosh, mate. <laughs> I'm, I'm, You're I'm having, a night, I'm having a night of it. That's tonight. a meditation, Billy Fluff. Oh. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Great. I mean, I bored you all with it. I'm not sure that I've yeah. really got for anywhere very much. I'm with sure it. Richard Richard E. Grant is underused, but I mean, obviously not as underused as Ian McKellen because I, mm, I didn't even yes. mention him, did you? I think people forget no. he was ever in it. 
Right. Mm. Um, I think Moffat wanted us to forget he was ever in it so that he could <laughs> replace um, the voice of the uh, of the Great Intelligence with Richard E. Grant, who was presumably cheaper. Mm. But it was nice, nice to have him there while he lasted, but uh, yeah, a bit underused. Mm. Mm. He was in it, wasn't he? Yes, definitely. Good, yeah. good. Mm. Richard, did you know that? That the, the voice of the Great Intelligence when it's in its big globe snow globe form it's snow globe was yeah. Sir Ian McKellen I'm sure I knew that once but I don't think I, I, I could have um, dredged it out of my brain right now what a shame I, I tell you what else is a shame is that our our YouTube channel has gone absolutely cracking now it's it's going along a fantastic yeah. rip just at the point where everyone has given up on it because it's been so blocky and jumpy all night but you know yeah. there we go yeah well, let's go on because it's the last one we're going to be doing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> certainly, <laughs> the last one, certainly the last one I'm doing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, are we switching to round three? Let's go for round three. So, so round three, uh, Dream Team. So, this in this case, I, we pick one story from the whole of Doctor Who. And then we, your, your sort of mission is to, to think... Well, if I was going to remake it with a, with a a team of creatives from across the history of Doctor Who, who would I choose in uh, in order to get the absolute best out of this particular scenario? So, um, if you like, you can pick one for me, and I'll sort of give you the you know how I think it's going to work, and then you can see where you go from there. It's tempting, Charles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Rolling the dice at random, and we have uh, the abominable snowman. The abominable snowman. By a strange coincidence. Okay, so I mean, so we've already got. Um, so we st- the abominable snowman. Is is that still in a sloyd, or have we moved into Peter Bryant by then? Um, Ooh. Sort of on the it's on the cusp, isn't it? Um, mm. Director is Gerald Blake, is it? Abominable Snowman. Um, Good lord. We've got uh, it's yeah. I mean, I, I, so so the Abominable Snowman is is a fantastic story, but of course we because we can't see it, um, we're kind of you know our appreciation of it is somewhat. Um, Restricted, so certainly it would be nice to be able to remake it and um, you know and have something we could see. And uh, I suppose that sooner or later someone's going to animate it. But if we're going to um, if we're going to remake it in live action, I mean the biggest biggest loss is going to be Troughton because um, if we remake it, we're not going to be able to use him. Um, unless, of course, I suppose we 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 we're doing fantasy. Um, in which case we say actually he's so good that I'd like we'd like to hang on to him. Um, it's written by of course by um, Hazeman um, and the other fella Lincoln, Lincoln Henry Lincoln. Yeah, I mean Henry Lincoln went mad. Holy blood and the holy grail. Yeah, he went utterly mad, didn't he? Later on, he wasn't mad. Enough, he wasn't mad enough to sue Dan Brown, though. Yeah. He, he kept well out of that. Although, yeah, it's odd that, isn't it? And then, but he did. I suppose they did go slightly mad during the Dominator. So uh, you know, maybe that was the the the, the start of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was all going very well at this at this end of it. Um, 
I'm trying. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one. It's it's such a good one. It's hard. It, it's hard to think of what what do I want to to improve it. I suppose um, if we were going to make it in the modern era, maybe, maybe that's the best way of, of tackling this. So if we're going to make it in the modern mm. era, what which which um, which doctor do I want? I suppose. I suppose Matt Smith is the closest analogue to Patrick Troughton in the modern era. Not not really all that similar, but they sort of, you know he sort of based his performance partly on that. Um, I'd quite like to have. Um, it's a sort of thoughtful story. It'd be it'd be interesting. I mean, I mean, so clearly Moffat's interested in it in in writing the um, the Snowmen. So so I'd be it might be interesting to see what. What Moffat could make of it, but I think I wouldn't want it to be during Moffat's era. I mean, I know, I know that's difficult since Matt, I've cast Matt Smith in it, but I quite like Russell T. Davis, I think, to be my showrunner because I always feel like if if Moffat's writing something and also being a showrunner, it never seems to work quite so well. Um, maybe, mm. maybe that's just my prejudice. Um, and of new directors who. Who do I like the best? Um, yeah, it might might be interesting to see one of the one of the early ones like um, Keith Buck. No, I was thinking more of Joe Ahern, <laughs> who who who, um, who oh. he was he was the mate of um, of Eccleston in the end, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, mm. equally good. He, he did did some nice stuff nice stuff early on. Um, <laughs> You've just reminded me of something. Oh, I. You don't mean to interrupt. Um, I don't know. I'm starting to flannel, so I'm not bothered. Did anyone see uh, Eccleston on... Well, he was on Lorraine's morning show for about a minute oh, right. earlier today. No, she, okay. she, um, she got in touch with him. He, he called her from his car to talk about the fact that he's back on Big Finish. Oh, right. And, of course, he is back on Big Finish. Right. Oh, he's, he? always been, okay. he's always been... He was, he's just done two days of recording. Um, yeah. it was a, they came to an agreement earlier in the year, and now they've finally started recording. And mm-hmm. after, of course, he was quite bitter about Thick Doctor Who at the beginning, but he's never, he's always, he's always been very um, protective of the, of the part. I always said it was a great show and a great part, a great character which he enjoyed playing, mm. doesn't he? And mm. now he's back again at Big Finish, proving that. Yeah. And uh, proving that he, what he said all these years was true. He does have a great affection for the role. Mm. And uh, Lorraine, not really understanding the intricacies, intricacies, said. And of course, of course, could this mean you could be coming back on the television one day? <laughs> and and um, he tried to avoid the question, but yeah. she kept pushing. And he said, I know what you're trying to get me to say, but when hell freezes over. Oh, right. <laughs> which um, was, you know, slightly undercut <laughs> the, the joy of him being back in the role for the first time in 15 years. Right. And I think says it all, really, that he's, if in case there was any doubt, he's back because it's big finish right. and he won't be back on in physical form because that's the BBC mm. so you know it's kind of clearer now than it ever was mm. what the problem mm. is mm. anyway back to you hopefully that little interregnum has given you time to think of but then he's done the A word for the BBC hasn't he I know I was a bit confused about that as well mm. I I thought it was simply yes I thought it was simply the BBC he had a problem with mm. but it mm. isn't but Maybe it's, the what... it's, it's BBC Wales mm. let's be yeah. It's something. <laughs> Let's Surely. start spreading unfounded yeah. gossip and <laughs> Well, whatever fact, Well, if I if I tried to oversimplify it, there maybe someone else can help me. There's something that is present 
in Doctor Who at the BBC and not Doctor Who at the Big mm, Finish that, yeah. that would that makes those two extremes night and day. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, so I was just thinking uh, about the last thing I can say about it is, I mean, the, the Abominable Snowman's famous for not having much incidental music, or indeed any. Uh, there's a sort of ambient noise mm. a, a bit. Um, so I don't think I want Murray Gold all over that. That's, that's probably, <laughs> probably going to be a little bit too much. But I, I guess Sagan Akinola from the last couple of series could, could do something nice and ambient uh, in a modern yep. way to, to, to fill in the sounds there. Um, I, think I've, I, think, I think that's enough from me. Um, but I might... Who's doing? Who's good? Well, go on. Uh, so you, so you, You're in charge. Who's next? Um, I, Charles. Charles next. Yeah, fine. Go on, do me. So, um... <laughs> the Hand of Fear. Ooh, The Hand of Fear. Hmm. Right. Well, this is... Obviously, it's got a good high concept. Yeah, it's got it. There's a good high concept idea at the heart of it. The... Bob Baker, Dave Martin version. Wasn't it ridiculously ambitious space opera in some, at some point? Didn't have like fleets of units, spaceships, and all sorts of things they were planning on in their in their typical manner. All right, writing into. Blimey, that sounds exciting. I think that's correct. Uh huh. You and your and, um, research. Hmm. This vaguely rings a bell, unless I'm mixing it up with something else that they, that they came up with, and then then it was dropped. And Hinchley have had a word with them and said, look, can, you know, can we just mm. do something with a disembodied hand? And, um, so I'm thinking, I mean, obviously this is best known for, um, yeah, so, you know, Bye Bye Sarah Jane, isn't it? Yeah. And I think if you're, if you're doing that, um, I'm trying to think because the, the rest of it is, what is your thing it's a techno i guess it's a technological thriller all the stuff with the nuclear yeah with the um with the nuclear power station and so on and it slightly revisits the clause of axos yeah in some ways um just trying to feel does, my way does around it, does it, it, it doesn't, doesn't literally revisit does it it's a different nuclear power station Yes, it's Nunton instead of they change, they Yeah, they change one letter. <laughs> it just draws attention to the fact that it could have been the same one, and why isn't it? Yes. But, um, <laughs> right. Oh, um, so I'm, just, I'm just trying to think. I mean, my... It's, the problem is, where do you, where do you go? You know, the, the Tom and... You know, do you treat it as still being Lizard Swan Song? Because if you do then you're thinking okay what's the yeah, it feels like the best person to handle that sort of thing and ring maximum emotional potency I and mean, what we've got you know it's it's three minutes you know tacked on tacked on to the end of a fairly you know fairly standard story mm-hmm. it's got a good villain to it um but it feels like you're going to ring the maximum Emotional impact out of it if it's if it's Russell, Russell T yeah. writing something like that companion exit kind of thing feels like his home territory. Um, yeah, and then yeah, I mean I I like you know the concept of the the last of the 
um, the last of the Castrians, and the yeah the idea that they've all destroyed themselves is pretty is pretty effective. Um, a bit like the last of the Time Lords, isn't it? Or it uh... is. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, so where would you go? I think in terms of having, in terms of actually being able to make something more of that setting and make it a lot more dynamic, you're probably looking at a um, at getting Graham Harper to um, to direct it. I think, yeah. or or actually, maybe uh, no, maybe Dougie Camfield. Actually, let's go in the other direction. Let's go. Let's go backwards rather than forwards. Okay. But yeah, yeah, why not? You want so you want someone who's versed in that, that um that action stuff, which yeah. So you can go back to the yeah. You can go back to um, go back to Pertwee for that sort of thing as well. Um. So yeah, let's say Dougie Canfield directs it. Russell T writes it. Um. Are the other, hmm. So, I mean, do you, do you want to have gonna, music hmm? maybe, or um, um, somebody do you want somebody to edit your script to, to make it music? Even yes, I was just tr I was just trying to think. <laughs> There's a strange part of me that because it's a sciencey, sciencey thing makes me makes me think about getting um, Christopher Hamilton B to um, <laughs> to script edit Russell T Davis. <laughs> That'd be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> just out of uh, yes, yeah. just just for shits and giggles. Mm. Um, <laughs> just imagine, um, as, as Russell perhaps say. Yes. Um, <laughs> then it could be uh, Romana's last story. So rather than leaving us in e-space in a completely different universe, she can just wander mm. off into the English countryside mm. and um, say, "I've had enough of this, Doctor. I've had enough of being blown up and shot at." And well, yes, I'm going, and I think, yeah. Uh, the way it handles the exit, it's it's very, it is very perfunctory. That I mean, the reasoning behind it is is well thought out, and I don't know. Maybe no, maybe have maybe have Bob Holmes to script edit it, and Bob Holmes script editing Russell, and somewhat reining in Russell's tendency to that the you know the. One of the problems with the new series has always been that the relationships between the doctors and the companions has been so yeah. have always been so intense mm. that you have to mm. you know you have to, you have to come up with universe shattering ways of ever tearing them apart because because yeah. being with the doctor is so it is so fantastic that. Um, yeah. Well, the other, the, the, other music, issue, the other issue, of course, if RTD writes it, is that it's going to turn mm. the Hand of Fear into a five-parter because it's going to take at least 25 minutes to write Sarah Jane out at the end. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, yeah. music. No, I'm, I'm trying to think who you'd get. I'd go for something eerie, go for some... Tristram Carey type mm. of stuff or something, something like that. Yeah, a bit more than a bit more than Deadly Dudley, I you know. Yeah, go in that direction with it. Excellent. Yeah. Um, are you going to pick one for Paul? 
I guess I am. Yep. Uh, fire up the procrastinator. And the answer is. Ooh. Story number 201 Midnight. Oh. Midnight? Hmm. Was that on at Christmas? Good lord. <laughs> Uh, oh no, hang on, we were on the different round. We are. I've fallen asleep for the last hour. <laughs> How would it be done differently? That's a hell of a challenge because this is one of those few stories, considering the theme of Doctor Who, not surprising us very often, it's one of those few stories that is utterly. Yes. Um, rooted in that era. I mean, mm. it, I can't imagine it written by anyone else, anyone other than Russell. And particularly. <laughs> and it's stuck in that slot in the season because it's got to be the, the companion light, mm. and it's mm. kind of at that. In, it's in that season because Russell is trying to um, stretch his wings a bit. He's not just he's laying himself at a treat of not just writing the Russell stories, but trying to mm. get into territory that's more often been a preserve of other writers like Mr. Moffat. Mm. So mm. how on earth could you change it? Well. But it is a, it's a Russian One thing that's isn't obvious it? is that mm. it's it doesn't make take advantage of all the th new production of the things that are new to the series, the new series, the high budget, the extensive special effects. It doesn't make use of any of that. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, what it does is restricts itself to the sort of situation, the sort of circumstances <laughs> yes. that early the first production team bemoaned mm. Mm. so it could be done back in Lime Grove oh. in that tiny little studio I mean you could do it in Philip Schofield's broom closet, <laughs> but if, if you did it in the first couple of years when they were stuck in Lime Grove yeah. then um, mm. they would no longer have to complain about getting a horse up in the elevator to the fourth floor <laughs> they would just be able to <laughs> make use of it get a load of character actors yeah. all of whom had learnt their dialogue yeah Mm. And William Hartwell, <laughs> and just um, wheel them, wheel them on, and go for it. Yeah. Um, the only drawback to that is that the biggest gimmick of the story is the <laughs> is the excellent conceit of the Doctor gradually, uh, speech gradually getting in sync with yeah. the villain, the possessed <laughs> uh, character, and expecting William Hartwell to to get that syllable perfect is a bit of a tall order. So um, mm. does it have to? It, it, so this is not moving it to one other specific era. It's coming up with an absolute dream team. So I would, I'd, I'd have um, Dougie Campbell direct it. I'm just because I, although he's often what we think was his best, was his big gimmick in the early years was making big expensive space operas look more expensive than, say. Richard Martin could do. But on the other hand, um, who did direct it? Was it Graham Harper? Or did I, no, it wasn't Graham Harper. But Alice Trouton. We, uh, Graham Harper was, you know, somebody who was famous for action, and then when he got the chance to do smaller scale stories later on, showed that he was just as good with actors and, mm. and mood and atmosphere. So yeah, I'd give Dougie Campbell the chance to show another string to his bow. Hmm. Um, I would. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it... I would keep I would keep David Troughton in the same. Oh yeah. In the same part, even though he's 
only in his late 20s at this point, and mm. I would transplant as the doctor, any other doctor who could pull that off, another fast-talking doctor who's very precise with it. I'd get Peter Davison, and I think it would show the world that he's a much better actor than a lot of people think he is, because they yes. think he just wandered on with his floppy mm. hair mm. and played himself. And I think it would um, show... Yeah, his doctor never really got a chance to do any doppelganger stuff or any or possession stuff, really, did he? So I think that would have done him some good. Mm. So that's is that a big enough team? Do I need to change anyone else? I I, I have to say, Paul, that you've you, you've saved the best till last. There, uh, I, oh. I, I particularly liked the uh, the idea of recording it in Lime Grove. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I, I think that was that was a, that was a suitable um, note Hooray. on which to end things. And- how many hundreds of viewers have we risen I th- to? I, 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 I think we, 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 we peaked at close to five or six, I think, at one point. But, I mean, wow, but close it, to five but or it, six. You, it, mean, you mean four? But in, <laughs> That's close to five. Or... But in fairness to them all, uh, yes. trying to watch it on telesnaps with the audio keeping halting must have been pretty enervating. So, look, if you have been listening to us live and you've soldiered on for more than an hour... Um, oh, with God. that on, on experience, then uh, commiserations, I think, is the only thing we can say to you. But, but look, thanks for that, and we hope that we'll be able to construct from our own individual recordings at least an audio <laughs> version of the experience, which, I mean, is no less enervating, but at least will be more complete. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, you know, we've, we've, we've. I'd like to say we've enjoyed doing this. Um, you know, certainly it's been different, <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, if, if we're ever to try it again, we'll have to find a different medium. You know, like as in one that actually works. But you know, it's... you'll have to you'll have to upgrade from that fourteen point four k modem you've got. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be on super fast broadband, but it does appear that whenever we get one of these things together, somebody in the neighbourhood starts to download a huge <laughs> you know the, the whole internet at once or something and the whole thing goes to absolute mush i don't i, I don't know quite why but yeah we, we do seem to have struggled um at this time in the evening on a couple of occasions now when it seemed to work perfectly well during the day hey ho mm. uh that is uh life as 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 people say and um you know it it's it's been it's been lovely talking to you as ever um and i i, I guess we've got We've got a, we've got an episode that we recorded before this, but I still haven't edited. That's due to come out uh, before Christmas. So you've got that to look forward to as well. Time travel, eh? Indeed. <laughs> and and then also I have uh, a, a slightly idiotic idea that somewhere between Christmas and New Year, I'll I'll edit together a kind of best of twenty twenty um, podcast. So that might be coming out sort of towards New Year as well, and then. We'll be into the new year, and, and we'll have to think about what we're going to do um, for that. But look, thanks for Indeed. thanks for listening. Thanks for your support during 2020, which I suppose inevitably has been our bigger of the two years we've had to date. Um, uh, you know, cer- certainly we've had we've had more podcasts out. We've certainly had far more listeners, and uh, but perhaps a bit more momentum as well. And uh, you know, I've enjoyed doing it, um, and. We look forward to doing some more next year. But for now, I think it's um Here's to that. Ta-da. Bye-bye. Happy Christmas. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah.
<laughs> I, I think I have to sign you up as the uh, as the outro music uh, the, when we rebrand. Thank you.